This podcast is brought to you by Norfolk Southern. With technology like data crunching supercomputers and NASA like dispatch centers, they are developing a safer, more reliable railway that is redefining the world of transportation. See how Norfolk Southern is reimagining possible at nsrailtech.com. From Washington, this is Political Theater, Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. Every election is a series of moments, and in the aftermath of Tuesday night's election, the midterm elections are over, but we have a few moments to sort out, and I'm going to be doing that on today's Political Theater Podcast with our elections analyst, Nathan Gonzalez, and Simone Pathé and Bridget Bowman, our senior political reporters at Roll Call. Welcome to you all to Sleep Deprived Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) This podcast brought to you by two hours of sleep in a granola bar. So I, I saw you munching on a Subway sandwich. Don't try to That's don't true. try to you know That's like sit, think you're you know you're you're powered only by granola. That's true. Uh, if we can get a sponsor to Subway, that would help us uh, <laughs> help this podcast. So uh, yeah, one of the things that I that I thought of is that we've all spent a, a sizable amount of time outside of Washington uh, over the course of the this Congress and this election cycle, and so I just wanted to hear what. For, for you all, maybe sort of you know, either in hindsight or, or even in the moment where you thought like, oh, this, is, this will help define how I view this election or how I'm going to try to communicate it. So Bridget, let's start with you. You tell me what you thought you know, from your extensive travel uh, on, the, on the trail, what you thought were some of those moments that just sort of encapsulated how you viewed this election. Yeah. Um, so I've been kind of all over the place, this cycle from California to upstate New York. Um, and a moment that kind of stood out to me that I was thinking a lot about last night was in, I was in Kansas's third district in August. That's the Kansas City suburbs. Mm-hmm. It's a district that was held by Republican Congressman Kevin Yoder that uh, Hillary Clinton won by a narrow margin in 2016. Um, so a top target for Democrats this year. Yoder argued that the district is actually center right, that it was essentially more of a one-time rejection of Trump than a fundamental shift in that district. Uh, but he actually lost last night to Democrat Sharice Davids. When I was out there in August, I went to a parade in Bonner Springs uh, that Congressman Yoder was walking in. And there was this moment where this man kind of stopped Yoder, and I could tell that they were having kind of a tense conversation. And when I went up to him afterwards, he said, the man, the voter, said he was an independent voter and was asking Yoder about gun violence. And he didn't think Yoder had done enough uh, to combat that. And he was just kind of sick of it and wanted somebody new. Um, And his wife was also there, and she was also a Republican. She was a Republican and was supporting David's also because of gun violence. While a lot of this, especially on the House side, a lot of it was a reaction to Trump, there was also this kind of undercurrent of independence looking, taking a second look at Democrats that maybe they hadn't looked at in the past. And that kind of encapsulated that for me. On the Senate side, we had a different story with Republicans holding on to the Senate. And one moment that kind of captured that to me when I was in Arizona last month. Arizona, you say? Yes. That's, <laughs> that's a state that you're Justin, my you home state. sort of familiar with. <laughs> I like Arizona <laughs> at times. Um, I went to a synagogue where Republican Congressman Martha McSally was speaking. And there's older man who was a conservative, was not a registered Republican, Mm -hmm. but typically supported Republicans. And he said, I would not vote for a Democrat if my life depended on it right now because of Justice Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation fight. Even though Cinema had cast this moderate profile, there was no way he was going to switch parties. And I think we saw that in other Senate races where Republicans really kind of went to their corners. 
Interesting. All right. Simone, you also have uh, sort of been all all around the country, uh, mm-hmm. at least the lower 48. Uh, we, we were not able to send you to either Hawaii or, <laughs> or, or places like that, much much to probably your, your all's chagrin. What were some of those moments for you where it sort of it crystallized like this is what the selection's about? Yeah, on the House level, I think the sort of suburban districts in Minnesota and New Jersey were the ones that stand out the most for me. Um, particularly in New Jersey's 7th District. This is where Leonard Lance has long been the congressman, has a pretty moderate reputation for a Republican congressman, is very well respected on both sides of the aisle for his civility and just sort of his calm demeanor. And I went to this meet and greet on a Sunday morning at a pizza place uh, fairly early for his Democratic challenger, Tom Malinowski, who won last night. And I was struck by just how many people came out to this event early in Roxbury. It wasn't just for the pizza? It wasn't for the pizza. They weren't right. actually eating pizza, actually. It was, it was too early, I think. What is too early for When is too early for pizza? Well, yeah. anyway. it was hot pizza. You can eat cold pizza in the morning. But. <laughs> anyway, this was in Roxbury, which is the western half of Morris County, which mm-hmm. is more rural, definitely more conservative than sort of the eastern suburbs around New York City. Mm-hmm. So is def- it central Jersey? Does such a thing no, exist? No, it does is not it, exist. Central Jersey no, doesn't exist. No, it's northern New okay. Jersey. Okay. <laughs> And there were supporters there, you know, folks who were dyed in the wool, volunteers for Malinowski, but there were also some independent voters and people who were just not sure and who came out to hear what he had to say. And the results last night really made me think about how much this election didn't really matter, like, who you were. Someone like Lance representing this district kind of just got swept up right, in Right. He voted <clears throat> against the Republican exactly. tax plan, against the uh, efforts to uh, repeal the Health Care Act. Right. And he, so and he, he still lost. He voted against leadership priorities. Arguably, he did what was best for his district. This is a wealthy district that benefits greatly from SALT deductions. It and it, it, it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Right. So you could see a scenario in which Democrats could have run anyone, really. I mean, not saying that Malinowski wasn't a good candidate and raised a lot of money, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it didn't matter what Lance did. This just wasn't going to be enough to save him. And I think you saw the same thing in some of the districts I was in in Minnesota, like Eric Paulson, mm-hmm. for example. So, yes, Eric, Eric Paulson lost fairly handily in the, in the Minneapolis suburbs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think to your point, I think we saw that in a lot of races where going into this cycle, Republicans said we have incumbents that can withstand a challenging environment, that if anyone can win, Carlos Corbello in Florida can win, Mike Kaufman in Colorado can win, and they lost. Mm -hmm. And that was definitely, sorry to interrupt. No, but yeah, yeah. And that's and that's one of the takeaways. I think we we talked about late on Tuesday night that Mm -hmm. both in the House and the Senate, the idea that a individual incumbent can build this brand I'm not really sure that that works anymore because we heard it the same thing with Heidi Heitkamp. Mm-hmm. Oh, she she knows how to win or Claire McCaskill. She's a fighter. You know, well, it didn't really matter. <laughs> what mattered more was the partisanship. And that's what drove these elections. Although I would point out that there we did see a couple of exceptions to the rule in, in the Senate with Joe Manchin in West Virginia and John Tester, who is has been declared the winner in Montana, that these are states that, there were, that President Donald Trump did very well in, but they were able to to project this brand and and win and and go against but the, the, the but the margin went down significant. I right. mean, Trump got sixty nine percent, and you know, what Manchin's going to win in the mid to high fifties, I think, uh, mid mid fifties. Uh, and you know, Tester is squeaking by with, like, once again with less than a majority of the votes. So, right. Uh, That's what John uh, Tester does all the time. Yeah, right? He's just, he's always won forty nine. Landslide, landslide, John. Right. 
So, and and Nathan, we were talking a little earlier uh, before coming in. You know, after the 2016 election, you know, a lot of people were trying to casting about, like, you know, how how do we approach handicapping? How do we approach elections analysis in 2016 when so many rules sort of got kind of thrown out? And you said that there was a moment where you realized it was it was you felt a little bit more comfortable talking about. I had it. an internal journey in my mind. Internal. Um, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't I, when you were in the Holiday Inn in Omaha. Or I, no, <laughs> I, I'm sure they're not. I'm sure it's nice there, uh, but I have not been to that Holiday Inn. Um, yeah, I think it's just you know at the beginning of the cycle you start to build scenarios, and I think somewhere midpoint, I'm not sure exactly what the moment was where I started to realize that it's. The president can – this can be an anti-President Trump incumbency, but Republicans still do well in the Senate because the map was just that good. And maybe it was around June when Republicans, you know, for a while had been pounding into me that – they said, look, we're going to win North Dakota, the Senate race. Like Kevin Kramer, this is where we've had this race mm-hmm. for weeks, even months at that point. And at some point, you just look at the data and you say, OK, you know, we you have to – it doesn't matter what you thought was going to happen at the beginning of the cycle, you have to go with the data. So we took a we took a leap and made Heitkamp the a narrow underdog in June, and that held up throughout the whole cycle. And so you just, I think maybe it was when we started to get real numbers and started to look at it district by district and state by state that you realize that you know, these are two different maps and two different outcomes are going to happen because it's two very different constituencies. Okay, we're going to take a short break and hear from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. You may know Norfolk Southern is the leading freight rail company that powers our nation's economy. But did you know they're also the innovation leaders that are reinventing the railroad as we know it? Using automated computing platforms, their freight rail network safely orchestrates the movement of hundreds of trains, while their data-driven predictive models can foresee maintenance problems weeks before they occur. And their virtual reality simulators are training crews more safely and effectively. With an array of new tech, Norfolk Southern is reimagining what's possible. Learn more by visiting nsrailtech.com. And we are back. Our, our colleague, Stu Rothenberg, said it's, it's rare that you get an election where both sides can declare victory. Uh, and, uh, and, and the Republicans are obviously happy to keep you know, the Senate in their hands and they can continue to, to confirm judges and, and do that kind of the personnel business, as the majority leader, Mitch McConnell says. And in the House, the Democrats are like, we, we went against the tide, you know, a sort of, of these gerrymandered districts and so forth and won. People may not like that sort of scenario, but th- this is kind of how the founding fathers designed the system. I mean, as frustrating as it is that the, the Senate was designed to give smaller states and more rural places and places that weren't population centers a voice in the government, and the, and the House was designed to be more reactive to popular sentiment. And so it kind of works as much as it's kind of it may be difficult for some partisans to stomach. Yeah, and I th- I think one of the questions that I have kind of coming out of this election is, are the swing states changing in a way? Like Missouri, Claire McCaskill was one of the last two statewide Democrats. Heitkamp was the last statewide Democrat in North. I mean, North Dakota wasn't a swing state, but you've seen this rightward shift in some of these states. But then in Arizona and Texas, O'Rourke lost to Cruz, but he came really close. Like, Mm -hmm. are we seeing um, that kind of shift and are Democrats going to change how they look at the kind of national map in terms of their pickup opportunities. Yeah, I think the I think the word for the for the cycle is realignment. Mm-hmm. I know Ron Brownstein at the Atlantic has been big on this uh, for a while now, but some of these, you know, the North Dakota Senate race, that is not going back to Democrats anytime soon. Right. Mm-hmm. Or the Missouri Senate race or some of these House districts that Republicans lost. I mean, on election night, 
I think the White House was saying, oh, losing the House is no big deal. We'll win it back in 2020. It's like that Florida 27 district that uh, Ileana Ross Layton in left that now Donna Shalala holds, that's not going to be going Republican anytime soon. I mean, these are Democratic districts that were held by a Republican until the very end. And it's a, it's a realignment. I think Minnesota illustrates that really well, where you have Republicans losing two incumbents, but also gaining two seats. And there's a total switch here in terms of they represented these suburban areas mm-hmm. for a long time. Now they're picking up seats in rural areas where Democrats have traditionally done well. Democrats are now winning in the suburbs. So it's completely flipped, even though the number of seats Republicans control actually stayed the same in Minnesota. So a lot this this whole midterm cycle, I mean, it, it's amazing how engaged the electorate was. We saw sort of a, almost a presidential level of turnout. Uh, it may have come at the cost of some people's uh, <laughs> uh, anxiety levels. Uh, I, you know, it, it, it seems that as engaged as people were, they were also pretty stressed about this. Uh, and we're already talking about 2020, like you are, Nathan, talking about the 2020 Senate map already. <laughs> never <laughs> like, too early. Never, never <laughs> too early. And not to mention the whole presidential race thing, uh, w- which is coming up. But we do have a moment to catch a breath. And as, as we sort of end the, the, our, our sleep-deprived edition of Political Theater Podcast, I wanted to give each of you an opportunity to say how you plan on getting over your election hangover. Who wants to go first? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I think, you know, well, first I'm going to try to re- help my four kids remember that they have a father. Uh, I'm not sure what that is. It probably just means driving them around to swimming lessons and soccer practice. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I hope to somehow. Can't they just turn on the television, Nathan? Yeah, like, don't, they don't, don't watch C-SPAN? <laughs> uh, they, uh, hopefully, you know, so somehow I'll be able to try to catch up on sleep mm. while spending uh, quality time with the kids. Okay. Uh, spend some time outside. Mm-hmm. Spent way too long in front of my computer. That is a good point. Yeah. That's a really under, good under fluorescent lights, yeah. as we are right now yeah. uh, in this moment. <laughs> Don't out us, Jason. <laughs> this is live in a tropical jungle. Yeah, I think definitely sleep. I should probably go through my inbox at some point. Oh, it kind yeah. of exploded last night. My computer died. That's my, my computer didn't it just even gave make up. it through election. It just came <laughs> up. It's done. It's over. But I like going outside. That's a good idea. I hadn't thought much past election day. It's kind of been this abyss. But going yeah. outside sounds like a good call. That that sounds good to me. I mean, I, I'm going to New Orleans uh, with, with my wife. On. We're celebrating our uh, our third wedding anniversary by going to one of our favorite cities. So. There we go. Travel, sp- reconnecting with your family, spending some time outside, and sleeping. There you have it. Practical <laughs> advice from Political Theater Podcast. Well, Bridget, Simone, Nathan, thank you so much for sharing your your incredibly crystalline thoughts in uh, in with with considering that it's all with about one hour of sleep apiece, and we're averaging. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. Thank- and thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, NPR One, Spotify, or wherever you happen to get your podcasts. And please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. For more on this and other stories, visit RollCall.com or find us on Twitter at RollCall. Thanks for listening. <laughs>